Good morning, everyone. Again, it is just such an amazing privilege to be with you. Uh, so excited just hearing the stories and catching up with people here that God is really among you. And uh, I want to just encourage you that coming from, uh, from the, the, the dark side on Hong Kong Island to the even darker side on Kowloon side, um, there is a light that is shining. And God is shining through this church. So uh, let me just pray for us as we come and read God's word together. Father, my words are totally inadequate, but your spirit wants to speak to us this morning. And I pray you'd speak with power. I pray that you'd speak with encouragement. I pray you'd speak with conviction. I pray that you would wherever we're up to, that you would bring your word to bear on our hearts. Give us open hearts to you. And would we see that you are everything that we need. You are our joy, our hope, our salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Um, So we're going to be looking today at what is actually a difficult topic. So um, uh, this is not going to be a light topic, but uh, we're going to be looking at the topic of repentance And before I start, I want to tell you a true story about a guy, we'll call him Jim. Um, Now, I met Jim when he was homeless. We began to get to know each other, began to hear his story. He'd been an addict, a drug addict addict for a while. And after a time, he was talking about wanting to to recover and um, get a new life. And so we actually invited him to stay for a couple of days uh, at our place while we found him somewhere else to stay. And um, during the transition, he stayed then another night at a friend of mine's house. And the next morning, I got a phone call from my friend saying, listen, Jim's disappeared and 5,000 Hong Kong dollars has disappeared. I knew where to go to get Jim, so I actually went down into the city center. Um, I waited for him. Uh, Jim showed up as I thought he would. And when he looked at me, you should have seen his face. It was just a picture of shame. He didn't want to look at me. He hung his head like this. And I, I looked him straight in the eye and I said, Jim, you know, we've called the police. There may be consequences, but I want you to know that we love you and we forgive you. And I invited him to come and have dinner with us that evening. I didn't see Jim for weeks on end. Um, in fact, uh, a few weeks later, uh, I was cycling through uh, a part of town I didn't normally go through, through a little back alley where there was a couple of benches. It was a off-the-beaten-track kind of place. And as I was going through, suddenly I looked around, and there was Jim sitting on a bench. You should have seen his face when he saw me. I got off my bike, I walked towards him, and he looked at me and said, you know, I've been hiding from you for these last uh, month or so. And this is the one place in this city of over half a million people that I thought I could get away from you. God seems to be on my case. And so we talked a bit more, and, um, and I invited around to actually study the Bible with him. And we did. We met up for a number of weeks. We studied the Bible. He started to seem to be getting his life on track again. And I invited him to stay with us for a couple of days, or, no, for one night while we actually had somewhere for him to go to stay to. The next morning, I was out, I was at work, and I got a phone call from uh, my housemate saying, the TV's been stolen, Uh, my PSP has gone, what's going on? 
Jim has disappeared. Uh, my heart just sank at that moment, and I thought, Am I, are we just being completely stupid? Maybe we are. I Eventually, I managed to find Jim. We called the police. I told him, you know, that there would be consequences. But I told him that we loved him and that there was forgiveness in Jesus. Now, he actually got arrested, not for actually stealing stuff from us, but he actually had uh, uh, tried mugging some people on the street. He went to prison for a few months. I visited him every week. Every week he'd say, yes, I'll study the Bible. Yes, I'll do this. I'd go back to him the next week, and he hadn't. This went on for week after week after week. He came out of prison. I then um, I went to, to see him. He had come, he said, off drugs and all of that, and he needed to pay some, some debts. We needed to find a safe place for him. He stayed at my parents' for one night. The next morning, I had, you know what happened. I got a phone call. Some, he had stolen about $1,000. And then I heard that actually he'd been arrested for armed robbery. This time it was two and a half years in prison. I went and visited him about every, every few weeks or so. Every week, every time I visited him, he would say, I'm going to see the chaplain, I'm going to see the chaplain, I'm, I will. Next time I saw him, he hadn't seen the chaplain. And his prison sentence was getting towards the, the end of his time, and I had just given up on, on, um, on Jim. I thought, I've shown you as much grace as you deserve in this situation. Unless God did something dramatic in his heart, it didn't matter if he came out of prison again. I knew the same thing would just happen again and again and again. You see, the story of Jim is actually the story, it's a true story, but it's also the story of Israel. It's the story of actually every single one of us, and I'll explain that later. But the passage that we're going to read from, and I'm going to read from uh, right now, is from the book of Daniel. So I'm going to read this uh, to you. It's Daniel chapter 9, okay? Daniel 9. It says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asorius, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. That's the exile, the prison term that God's people, Israel, had been under because of the consequences of their sin. Verse 3, he says, Then I turned to my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, who we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us belongs open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which they have, you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. 
To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He's confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, but bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there's not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. And then I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 14. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works. In, that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Does this sound like Jim to you? And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. It's quite an intense prayer. And it's an intense prayer because Daniel has been with the people in their prison-like exile for so long, for over 50 years. He's been faithful all this time. Remember the stories about lions and uh, all those persecution? He's been faithful. And yet God's people repeatedly have sinned, even though God has sent prophet after prophet, his word to them again and again. They've refused. The Babylonians have come in. They've destroyed the temple. They've destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They've taken people into exile. The very sign of God's presence, the temple, seems absent from them. And in the midst of this kind of situation where everyone's wondering, what's going on? Where's God in this? Just like many of us may be wondering, where's God in COVID? Where's God in all the circumstances of our lives? Well, right in the midst of that, Daniel is doing his Bible reading plan. He's reading Jeremiah chapter 25. Do you actually know people in the Bible read the Bible, right? And, and he's reading it, and he realizes something, that actually Jeremiah had prophesied that, that the Babylonian exile would finish after 70 years. He goes and checks out the calendar and says, wow, that's going to be soon. 
God is going to come and deliver. He's going to restore. He's got a ton of promises of bringing back his people. And here's, as he read on in, I'm sure he read to chapter 31 in Jeremiah, he says, this, this period of time where God's going to bring liberation, he says, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. I will give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. See, that's the promise that God has for his people. Abundance, satisfied in his goodness. That's what God wants to do with the Israelites. That's what God wants to do with people like Jim. That's what God wants to do with us. Because we may not be like the Israelites or like Jim uh, as a, a, a drug addict, but we're all addicts to self and sin. And don't we often just keep repeating the same sins again and again and again, and you just wonder when the cycle's going to stop. Sometimes you may feel trapped or imprisoned. And yet this passage is saying God wants to take us as a church from joylessness, from just deadness, from being trapped to a place of joy. And he's saying it's not just about your circumstances changing because Israel could just get back in the promised land and be exactly the same just as Jim could be in or out of prison. But there's got to be a heart transformation. And so I want to talk about what Daniel shows us about how to respond when God is promising us joy, but actually there is areas of sin in our lives that he wants to deal with. Okay, so... What does Daniel do when he hears this promise of Jeremiah? Does he sit back and go, okay, well, let's, that settles it. You know, let's just turn on the TV, wait for God to come in and just do his stuff. No, he doesn't. He says this in verse 3. He says, um, then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel's not just giving thanks for God's promise. What he's doing, he's on his knees in urgent, desperate prayer and in confession for the sin that led them into the exile in the first place. And he's saying, God, you need to do something in us first for us to get to take hold of that promise you have for us. And he knows that these people need two things. He needs their hearts changing, and they need the presence of God. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at that God promises to us as his people a whole load of things, but actually he wants to change our hearts, and he wants to give us a longing and a hunger for his presence. And so we're going to talk a lot about repentance today. And I don't know about you, but often we were just talking in our staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, um, you know, repentance just sounds really depressing. And I want to show you that actually the promise of repentance, the, the invitation of repentance is not an invitation to misery, it's an invitation to joy. But to start with, I want to unpack a couple of things that we think, often think repentance is, but actually it isn't. So false repentance. Let me tell you what false repentance is is false repentance what daniel doesn't do okay false repentance is selfish 
You know, Jim said multiple times to me, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Don't we do that? Sorry isn't repentance. But Jim's repentance, just like Israel had often said sorry in the past, wasn't sorry because we'd really offended God. It was sorry we got caught. It was sorry for the consequences that, that Jim had suffered, that we suffer. But actually, it's still all about us. We're just trying to get out of feeling bad or our situation. It's a way to placate the anger of your wife or your husband or whoever it is that you're saying sorry to without really a genuine change of heart. False repentance is selfish. False repentance is also self-righteous. You know, a lot of what we think repentance is is kind of feeling really guilty about our sin. You know, kind of beating ourselves up. How could I be so stupid? You know, like Judas with, with Jesus hung, hangs himself after he betrayed him. I mean, he felt bad. And so what he had to do, it's this kind of form of trying to atone for your own mistakes, convincing yourself and God that if you feel bad enough about what you've done, or if you punish yourself enough for it, then that's the kind of way to earn forgiveness. That isn't repentance. That's actually trying salvation by works. You're trying to earn your repentance. Repentance has a focus not on you, but actually a focus on God. And we'll come and talk about that in a minute. It's not self-righteous. It's not selfish. Nor, neither is it selective. And we'll look in how Daniel does this. But selective repentance focuses on certain outward sins, like I lied, you know, yes, I, I shouted at my mother, whatever it was. But it fails to see there's a deeper heart problem towards God. You know, Jim said to me um, at one point, he said, uh, I know I've done some really bad stuff but at least I'm not like that rapist over there in the corner in prison. And I looked at him and said, I don't think you've actually understood what, what truly it means to change because you're comparing your outward actions, but you've not seen your inward heart towards God. But now let's see how Daniel deals with this. Let's see what true repentance is. Because true repentance isn't just saying sorry. It isn't just confessing what you did wrong. It's not just feeling bad about yourself. True repentance is an entire heart change and direction in life. It's like if you're walking this way you're through self, it's turning 180 degrees and walking saying, I want God over here. It's not saying, oh, sorry, and just carrying on that way. And so let's have a look what true repentance is. The first thing I want to show you about true repentance, that turning aspect, is it is God-focused grief. Look in, uh, well, let me show you a couple of things. Look in verse, uh, verse I'll find it, verse 4. Um, he says, he prays, Daniel he doesn't start, hey, sorry, guys, I sc we screwed up a bit. Could you get us out of this mess? He prays, I pray to Yahweh, to the Lord, my God, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who keep him, love him and keep his commands. Verse 7, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 9, he says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Verse 14, he says, the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. Verse 15, he says, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand have made a name for yourself. Do you know what Daniel is doing? He's using covenant language. It's the language of relationship. 
It's the language of a heavenly husband with his bride. You see, sin is not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. Israel is an adulterous spouse, and God is the great king of the universe who holds our breath in his hands, who sends a billion galaxies spinning right now. And yet, just like we in a tiny way pursued Jim, God has pursued his people as his bride with a greater, persevering, steadfast love. He's redeemed them from slavery. He's made us his own. He's given us the kingdom of God. He's done all the running. He says we're children of the great, glorious king. We're loved. He's lavished on us a new identity. And in spite of all of that, as his people, we, just like the Israelites, just like Jim, still turn away. You see, the, the, the knowledge of God is what shapes Daniel's confession here. You see, he knows God is glorious, and therefore the fact that people of God have been stealing his glory is so much worse. He knows that God is the great lover, and yet he knows that our idolatry, that when we chase after our idols and pay lip service to God, just makes it that much more uh, offensive. Just as God had sent prophet after prophet to them, so he brings his word to us again and again, and showing his great love, but still we don't listen. You know, Jim, at one point, got into solitary confinement in prison for making beer, of all things, inside. And while he was there, he got thinking. And he then reflected back on all the grace and the mercy and the love that had been shown to him over uh, the number of years and his kindness, how, how we and some of the church had pursued him. And he started to see his responses in the light of, his, of that grace. And he broke down in confession to God for the first time ever. You see, as a church... We will never truly repent. You'll never truly see your sin as grievous to God unless you realize repentance isn't groveling before your kind of demanding, demanding master. It isn't just feeling like you failed as a Christian or as a spouse or as a friend. It's returning soiled and broken from a shameful affair to the heavenly husband who has given the world for you and who never stops chasing after you. His love for you, which is endless, is what makes our continual sin towards him more grievous. Does that make sense? Psalm 51, David has just committed adultery and murder, and he says, God, against you, you only have I sinned. You know, against you only? I mean, hadn't he sinned against Bathsheba? Hadn't he sinned against the, uh, the Uriah, the husband? Hadn't he sinned actually against the whole nation? Yes, he had. But what he's saying is actually at the root of all our horizontal selfishness and anger and all the things that we deal with here is a vertical issue. At the root of our problems is actually we're turning away from the God who says, I am everything that you need to satisfy you. I'm the one who cares for you more than anyone else. 
Repentance is vertical before it's ever horizontal. I once had a guy come to me who, um, who was sleeping with his girlfriend, and he confessed it, and he said, I know I shouldn't. I feel really guilty about it. And, uh, and, and, and I said to him, what do you feel sorry for? And he said, um, well, I think I let myself down. I know the Bible says we shouldn't do that kind of thing. And, um, and I said to him, you know, I don't think you're truly repenting at all. Because the biggest issue that you have here isn't that you broke a Bible rule. The biggest issue isn't that you broke your own standard. The biggest issue is that you don't see how incredible the love of God for you is, and you're throwing it back in his face and not realizing that when he gives a command, it's for your good and for you to love him. Your sin is personal against him before it's ever against anybody else. And he went, really? And that began to change something in his heart. You see, true repentance starts when you realize grace is the lens through which you see your sin. That's the first thing. Second thing, true repentance is also self-including. Okay? Now, this is, this is hard. Okay? But Daniel, Daniel is the most righteous guy, like other than Jesus, Daniel is pretty much the most righteous guy in the whole Bible, okay? There's like nothing on him, okay? Now, I'm sure he did sin, but there was no kind of massive failures like David or like Solomon with his wives or any other of the guys in the, in the Bible. If anyone could go like the, tax, like the, um, the Pharisee in Jesus' story with a tax collector, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people, like those tax collectors, it's Daniel. Daniel could say that. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He shows us what God-centered, faithful, joy-filled, revived people are like. It's challenging. He goes, we have sinned. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. This is verse 12 and 13. Um, uh, sorry, verse, verse 5. We have... have uh, turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 13, we have not entreated the favor of our God. Do you see what he's doing? He's not hiding. He's not blame shifting. He's not going, it's all them, it's not me. I may have 1%, but hey, look at the 99% of them. He's not doing any of that. He identifies himself as a fellow sinner. He's not self-righteously thinking of himself as better at all. He's absolutely honest. He's saying, this is not just them. I'm part of this generation of these people who are under God's judgment for sin. I find this really difficult as an individual or an individualistic person. You know, when I saw someone like Jim, why did I want to give up on him at some point, because at one point I thought, how on earth can you ever bother loving somebody like that? He's not worth my time. You know, actually, just this last week, I had a situation with a landlord who, who was just being very unreasonable. And you know that commandment, do not murder? I've broken that commandment numerous times in this last week in my heart and mind. 
And what happens when you, are, you see other people's sin or you get angry, when you see the problems with your spouse, with your, uh, your friends, with the government, with the church? Don't we want to exclude ourselves from the problem and just kind of go, all I can see is this black kind of thing in you, and I'm pretty well clean, bar a few spots. You know, all of our judging, our anger, our criticism out of a self-righteousness, is us going, hey, I thank you, God, that I'm not like them. But Daniel doesn't do that. He says, the sin I see clearly in them is a mirror of actually what's going on in my own heart. Maybe it's not the same thing, but it shows me that I'm part of this. Do you know that the Times newspaper very famously uh, sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking them a question. What's wrong with the world? And the author, G.K. Chesterton, wrote back saying, Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. You see, he's understood something that Daniel understood. That's a person who's on the way to revival in his heart. That's a person, a church like that is a a church that is on the way to revival. That is the answer of people on the way to joy. That is the answer of the uh, people on the way to healing in marriages and relationships. You see, what's wrong with Hong Kong? I am. What's wrong with my family or my marriage? I am. What's wrong with the church? I am. What's wrong with your workplace? I am. Oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it is amazing. If you've ever done marriage counseling, both parties always think the other person is the problem. And it's extraordinary. Two perfectly righteous people in a terrible marriage. How does that work? We're all so righteous when faced with other people's sin. And what I'm not saying here is there aren't other problems that other people have and we don't have to deal with them and address them. But we take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of other people. That's what Jesus teaches. You know, Isaiah, when he sees this vision of the holiness of God and he falls to his knees as a dead man, he goes, woe is me for I am ruined. And he was the godliest guy in Israel. And he goes, oh, look at all those other people. They're so unclean. No, he doesn't. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's just like Daniel. Do you see that this is Bible pattern going on here? Of actually what it means to be godly. You see, spiritual revival starts throughout the whole of history. It starts with God's people going, we're not the people we should be. We're not the people. We need forgiveness. We need Jesus. It's not like we need Jesus as in That's what Christians kind of say. It's not, no, no, I really feel it. I really experience, I'm hungry, I'm desperate. Jesus, I need your grace. If it's not for you, I'm lost. There's this holy dissatisfaction that I think God wants to birth in the church where sometimes we're we're kind of satisfied with where we are. But actually God says, no, I want a holy dissatisfaction in your heart so that you're hungry for more of me. You're hungry for more of my grace. You see where I'm not living in all that God has gifted and poured upon us. Dane Ortland, in his great book, um, Gentle and Lowly, he says this, It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity 
that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse in honest acknowledgement that we never will. I love that. That actually, this is what Daniel's going. He's going, God, you're righteous. To us belongs open shame. But he does that not as a condemning kind of guilty thing. No, he sees the grace of God, that this is the covenant God who loves him. So let me ask you, I want to make this personal, and I actually want to give you a minute or so to actually reflect on a few questions. I want to ask you, how desperate for Jesus are you? Not like, yeah, I know I need Jesus. No, no, no. How much do you actually feel your real need of him today? You know, at the end of each day, I look back on my day and I ask myself some questions which help me to put in the light of, in the light of who I am in Christ, in the light of his grace to me, then here's some questions that I ask myself, and I'm going to get you to ask yourself as well. And I find this searching. Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? Have I been anxious and worried? Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Have I been impatient and irritable? Have I justified myself? Am I doing what I do for God's glory and the good of others, or am I being driven by fears, the need for approval, love of comfort and ease, or the need for control, hunger for acclaim and power, or the fear of other people? These are searching questions. I want you to take a minute to actually think about them, but to think about them in the light, not just as a condemning thing, but in the light of the fact that you're a beloved child of God, that God has called you out of prison, out of darkness, into light, and he's given you his Holy Spirit to make you holy, to make you like him. And so I want you to reflect on those questions now. I'm just going to give you a minute. And just get real with God. Just honestly bring before God those things. Father, we just know that we need you. 
Lord, I pray that you would really work in our hearts right now. I pray that you'd help us to see the grace that you have for us. I pray that you'd show us that you have given us so much. Lord, help us to walk in what you've given us. To not live under the condemnation of the enemy, but to live with you. And to live in the light of who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. I'm going to continue with my final point. We've talked about what false repentance isn't. It's not selfish. It's not self-righteous. It's not selective. True repentance is focused on God. It's actually grieving our sin. It's also self-including. We recognize that actually the issues we see out there are a reflection of what's in here. But finally, true repentance desires the presence of God. And this is where it shapes our prayer life. Let me just read again this incredible part from verse uh, verse 17. Daniel prays, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Daniel's got there. He's seen in confession. He's got nothing to offer. But because of your great mercy, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God because your city and your people are called by your name. I wonder if you pray like that. Oh, that's the kind of prayer God wants to birth in us as a community. Because Daniel prays, make your face shine upon your sanctuary. The sanctuary is the temple. It's the presence of God. What is he saying? The word for face there is also the word for presence in Hebrew. And if your face shines, when does your face shine? I mean, maybe when you put lotion on it, but that's not the, not the, your face shines when you smile. What he's asking for is the smile of God to come upon his people. You see, if repentance is God-focused grief, the desire is not to stay with grace, but to lead to joy because you see the smile of God upon you. Many of us think that actually God's just got this frown upon our faces. That's that's because we don't really repent properly before God. We're just self-righteous. You don't see the love that he has for you. It's why David in Psalm 51 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Never finish confessing sin without rejoicing in grace. Daniel is desperate for the presence of God. And he says, bend down to us, incline your ear, stoop to us like a a mother to her crying child because of your mercy. You know, the word for mercy here is the word that comes from the Hebrew word for womb. Evangel and Evelyn just gave birth. When babies are born, all they can do is cry. They're needy, they're dependent. They don't go, hey, mom, let me just pop down to the supermarket and get some milk because you think we're running a little low. They don't say that because they know that their mother is their security, their provision. And so in a scary, insecure world, they know where to run. 
they know where to run. And the mother's maternal instinct is when they hear their child cry, what do they do? They want to reach out and pick them up and hold them close to comfort them, to provide for them. This is what prayer is. Um, Dane Orton, again, let me, let me say this. Time and again, it's the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is, by his enemy's testimony, the friend of sinners. Do you get what he's saying? God through Christ, this is why I keep saying for your sake, has for your sake do this, has tied the reputation of his name and his glory to the demonstration of his compassion towards you and towards this church. God will not ignore the genuine repentance of a humble church because it's there, that's where his overwhelming presence begins to shine and fill his people with joy. That when you realize that this can be a community where you realize, not just, hey, I knew I messed up a while ago, but you know today, man, I need Jesus. I'm more messed up than I realize, but he loves me. I'm not on probation. That's when change begins to happen. Change begins to happen in your marriages. Change begins to happen in all your relationships. Change begins to happen in the way you view your boss and your workplace. You become a person who is not just shattered by all your circumstances, but you see the power of God infusing and giving you grace for your circumstances. So when you come to pray, you pray expecting God to do stuff. Jim, as he realized the grace of God in his life, he repented on his knees before God for his, his self-centeredness. You know, the, the next day, the chaplain, who he had never seen or spoken to him, came to his isolation cell and said to him, Jim, you're getting baptized on Saturday. Can you prepare your testimony? Jim was a little shocked, um, said, okay, and then the chaplain left. Friday came, the chaplain appeared at his cell and said to him, Hey, I'm really sorry I got the wrong person. It's not you. It was somebody else who's getting baptized. But do you want to get baptized anyway? And Jim said, yes. Because Jim told him everything has happened. And through all of these circumstances, what he saw was that God knew him and cared for him even in that moment, even in isolation, that the presence of God became so real to him because he saw the manifestation of it. His joy erupted. He got baptized. He shared his testimony to about a hundred other inmates of the grace, the pursuit, and the presence of God in his life. And it changed him. Now, your story may be totally different. It probably is. You may not have been in prison. You may not have been a drug addict. But you are a sin addict but you're a sin addict that God has come to rescue. This church is a group of broken sinners that God has come to demonstrate the incredible power and presence that he has to change you. 
He wants your prayer life not to come hoping that God will answer, but to come expecting God to do incredible things in this church, in all the things that you're doing in your lives, not because of your righteousness, that you're great, not because of the great strategies you're going to come up to. Church doesn't need a lot of extra um, uh, incredibly charismatic people or all the things that we think makes church happen. What it needs is a bunch of repentant people who know desperately how much you need Jesus and you are getting on your knees and you're praying for the presence of God. And let me tell you, this area of Tokwa One will be impacted in ways that you cannot imagine because when the presence of God comes among his people, we start to change. We start loving people the way we didn't love them before because we were too proud and self-righteous. We start caring for people that we didn't care for before because we've experienced the incredible love of Christ. And so I want to just finish now. I'm going to pray for us. But I want you to just, as I pray, think, what is God trying to say to you? I think God wants to bring his presence to bear, even right now, in our lives. Are you open for him to do that? Let's just close our eyes. And just, even if you want to, just open your hands just as a sign of saying, God, I, I'm just open for you. I want to surrender to you. I want you to humble me. Show me my sins so that you can show me your grace. Father, I pray that this church will be known not as a church that is um, glamorous or not as a church that's got everything together or that puts on a great performance, even though there's um, so many great people here and so many great gifts. I pray more than anything, this church will be known that the presence of God is truly among you, that you have people of prayer, that you have people of repentance, a people who know just how kind, just how much the Savior has pursued you and keeps pursuing you. Please do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.